If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah is not a, uh, a book we go to very often, but it is where we're going to be today. Jeremiah chapter 31, and we're going to pick up in verse 31 in just a moment. The text will be on the screen as well. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31. And I want to talk to you today a little bit about the New Covenant. As you know, we are approaching Easter, and uh, we as a church don't, we don't really do Lent. If we did, today would be the first Sunday of Lent. And so, um, uh, during the Easter season, especially as we draw close to Easter, we naturally focus on the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, His death, His burial, and uh, of course we put a lot of emphasis on His resurrection from the dead. And, and the, the reason we do that is because the Bible tells us that that the resurrection is the central pillar of Christianity. If, if, if Jesus is not raised, our faith is, is worthless. If, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our, our, our Christianity, our faith, is no different from any man-made religion that just, that just worships a dead Savior. But we don't worship a dead Savior. Our Savior has conquered the grave. He has conquered death. And therefore, our, our faith is not in vain, and, and, uh, and, and we can have trust and hope not only in this life, but also in the life to come. And all that is, is incredibly important, but we have to respectfully ask, so what? And what I mean by that is, what did Jesus' passion, His suffering, and His rising from the dead, what did that accomplish? What was the purpose? What was the outcome of doing all that? And there's any number of things that we could point to to answer that question, but today we're going to focus on just one thing, and that is the new covenant that was inaugurated at Jesus' resurrection. Now, uh, God foretells in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 31, hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, about this new covenant that he was going to make. Jesus talks about this new covenant in the Gospels. The epistles, which were letters that, that uh, writers would, like, like the Apostle Paul, that would send uh, these letters to different churches, like the, the church at Corinth or the church in Thessalonica, um, those letters were compiled and, and they, were, uh, they became our scripture and, and made up the biggest part of the New Testament. Those are the epistles, and the epistles actually refer to or quote this, uh, this new covenant in some form or another many times. And even though it's, it's all throughout the scripture, the sad thing is many Christians couldn't tell you what it is. We, we take part in it, but we're not really sure how to define it what, it, what it is, what it means. And so what I want us to do is I want to look for a little bit uh, about this privilege that we as believers get to take part in, this new covenant, as, uh, as that leads up to uh, the Easter celebration. So if you found Jeremiah 31, please stand with me in honor of God's word, if you're able. We'll pick up in verse 31 and read down to verse 34. <clears throat> Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> now, there are three things I want you to see in our text today. The first is that the new covenant is different and better than the old covenant. The new covenant is different and better 
than the Old Covenant. Now, if you look at verse 31 again, it starts out with the word behold. Now, that word in, in Hebrew is hene. It means look. It means pay attention. You need to focus your attention right here on what's getting ready to be said because it's really important. It's like these great big arrows are pointing right here. And he says, look, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Now, now this is, when, when this is written, it says the days are coming. This was, this was well before Christ's earthly ministry. Now, we are on the other side of Christ's earthly ministry, and so, so this is not looking forward to us. It's looking back to us because our point in history. But he says, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with whom? Looking at what it says. With the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, you remember if, if you remember Bible history, you know that King David was, well, at first it was Saul, and then he, the, the second king was David. His son Solomon came in after him, and Solomon's son Rehoboam was a foolish king, and in his time, the nation of Israel split in two. And so the, the ten northern tribes, they split off, and they were the northern tribe of Israel, and the southern two tribes were the, were the nation of Judah. And so God says, I'm going to make this, this covenant, this new covenant with both groups, implying there's going to be a restoration of the two groups into one. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He say, well, that's all well and good, but pastor, I'm not Jewish. I'm not in the house of Israel, and I'm not in the house of Judah. But the New Testament tells us that all believers take part in this new covenant, Jew as well as non-Jew, Jew as well as Gentile. So this is for you if you're a believer. And notice what he says in our text. He says this, this, uh, this new covenant, in verse 32, it's not going to be like the old covenant. And the old covenant he talks about is the one that he made with their fathers when they came out of Egypt. Now, if, if, you, if you think about what you know about uh, the scripture and, and the, the history of Israel, you know that they were enslaved in, in Egyptian bondage. And God led them out, of course, the part in the Red Sea and all those things that happened with Moses. And they ended up in Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God gave them the Ten Commandments, and He gave them a whole bunch of laws, a whole bunch of rules and regulations, do this, don't do that. And that was a covenant, that was an agreement. Today we would, might call it like a contract, but it was, it was more than that. But, but, but it was this covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. And so there were moral laws that said, do this, these are, these are moral laws you need to keep in order to be holy. There were civil laws that, that ensured justice for, for all people, it didn't matter uh, where you came from or, or anything else. There, there, were, there were civil laws and there were religious laws which, which regulated how the people would approach God and how they would worship. And so God told the people, this is how you live. He said, be holy for what? I am holy. And this is what holiness looks like in your lives. And then he gives them all these rules and regulations. Don't lie, don't steal, don't, don't bear false witness and, and things of that nature. So God set before them life and death, blessings and curses, all based on their obedience to this external law, these rules and laws that were written down. Now, all that's good. The covenant's good, God's good, everything's good, but there's a problem. The problem is the people. Now, in Exodus chapter 24, verses 7 and 8, here's what it says. It's it's picking up in this giving of the the law and, and so forth. Then he, that's Moses, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Now, I just want to pause right there. Those people were delusional. They said, we'll be obedient. 
So Moses, verse 8, so Moses took the blood, because there's a sacrifice made, took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now again, I want to pause because you may have heard some, some wording there that may made your ears tingle. It may, it may have sparked some recognition. There's this language of the blood of the covenant. And I, I mentioned that because I want, to, I want to draw a line from point A to point B, Old Testament to New Testament. You remember in the upper room Jesus met with his disciples, had the Last Supper right before he was arrested and, and went off to trial and was crucified. And these, these elements, the Lord's Supper, the, the, the bread and, 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 and the drink, these things pointed to his body and blood which were broken and shed for us. And here's what he says in Luke chapter 22 and verse 20. And in the same way, he, Jesus, took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. There's that same language again. So, so, so the people pledged to keep this covenant. They pledged to be obedient. But the fact of the matter is, as you read through the Old Testament, these people were far from obedient. Sometimes it seemed like they weren't even trying. I mean, they would do, they, they were always grumbling, they were complaining, they were griping, they were sinning, they were following other gods, they're doing all kinds of things. And I think that as we look at that, sometimes we can look at it and shake our heads, but then we look in the mirror and we say, my sin's not the same, but I kind of get it. Because sometimes if the, the, the person from the outside looking in at our lives would say, it doesn't even look like he's trying. It doesn't even look like she's trying, even though we are. So, so of what did this covenant consist well, these laws, these rules, these instructions, the regulations, all that stuff is external. It was written down on, on tablets of stone. It was recorded in a book. And, and these things, were if they were obeyed at all, it was done out of a duty. Well, I'm, I'm going to do this because this is what God said to do. But the new covenant, he says, is not like that. And here's how it's different. If you look at, at the text again, in... Uh, in verse 33, he tells how the first way it's different. And this is the second thing I want you to see. The new covenant is not only different, it's internal. The new covenant is internal. God says, I will write my law on their hearts. In other words, the holy life that, that they were supposed to live before, it was an outside thing. It was an external thing. It was, it was an outward conformity. If I don't kill somebody, I've kept the law. That's what God's wanting of me. This, this way that we're living should be different from the way that we lived before. The, 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 the life that we're living should be different from the world around us. All that, you, you can have outward conformity to these Ten Commandments and still be far from God. The New Covenant takes those outward things and puts it on the inside. Because the New Covenant is not just about keeping your nose clean. It's not just about having a checklist of do's and don'ts. It's not just outward conformity to a bunch of rules. The new covenant is, is not a code of conduct or a code of duty. The new covenant shapes us, God shapes us, changes our character from the inside out. His law is internalized in our lives. How does that work? Well, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that it is God who's at work in our hearts, in our lives, to both to will and to do of His good pleasure. In other words, when we get saved, God takes out that heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh, a heart that wants to please Him, a heart that wants to follow after Him, a heart that wants to do what God says, a heart that wants to live a holy life. 
And you can change your outward behavior. You can, you can do that through reformation. But God changes the heart through regeneration. He changes the heart, and that comes out in the way that we live. That comes out in the things that we say. And notice something. God doesn't give us here a new law. And I think this is important. Because God doesn't say, here's the old law in the old covenant. But in the new covenant, I'm going to do something different. Now, he says the new covenant, it's the same law. You're just going to be able to do it now. It's the same law. It's just it's going to come from the inside out. It's not just going to be outward conformity. It's not just... I'm not going to, it's not enough to say I, I didn't kill somebody. Jesus says, if, if you've been angry with a person in your heart, you've killed them already. He said, the, the Bible says don't commit adultery in, in, in the Ten Commandments. And Jesus said it's not enough just to, to, to not commit adultery. He says, if you even look at somebody with lust in your heart, you commit adultery already in your heart. See, it's, it's this internalization of those principles, those laws that, that transforms our hearts, and we live a holy life because of that. So he, he puts that law in our hearts, and he enables us to live those things out, and that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, do we fall short as believers? Absolutely. Not a single person here, myself included, myself at the front of the list, none of us keeps the law. None of us lives a perfectly holy life. Some days we're far from. It's not even just a perfectly holy life. Some days it's even a remotely holy life. I mean, it, our attitudes are wrong. Some of the things that we do and say, that they're off base. I mean, it's, it's just wrong. But we have that ability and capacity, even if we fail to do it. But what this means is, as a Christian, God's made a change in your heart, and that needs to come out in the way that you live. You need to be living a holy life. You don't all the time, but that should be the goal that we all have. The, the last thing I want you to see about the new covenant is that it involves forgiveness. Look at verse 34. The new covenant involves forgiveness. Verse 34. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity... And their sin I will remember no more. God talks in this part and he, he says that the, the people will not teach others to know the Lord. Now I just want to pause here. And I want, I want to clarify what this is not saying. It is not saying there's no place for Christian education. This is not saying that, that coming to church is unneeded. This is not saying that the Bible study is unneeded. That's not what he's saying. Because in Ephesians 4, Paul lists all these different gifts that God has given to the church, different offices that God's given to the church, and one of them is pastor-teacher. And, and in the New Testament, in the, in the epistles, Paul writes to Timothy and, and others, and he talks about the importance of, of Christian men who can teach the faith. And so this is not saying that Christian education is unneeded. So what is it saying? Well, if you look at verse 34, he says, they won't need this instruction because, why? They will all know me. In other words, every person that's in the new covenant will know God. Every person that's in the new covenant will have a relationship with him. This is what Jesus said in, in John chapter 6. You remember Jesus fed the 5,000 and we all 
that's a, a very famous story. You probably have, have heard it. You've, you've read it. Maybe you've seen it on uh, uh, dramatized in shows or movies or whatever. And we, we can remember that, but we forget the teaching that comes right after it. Because Jesus uses that as a picture, and he uses that event to talk to them about, uh, about eternal life. And he uses all kinds of different word pictures and metaphors to describe the act of, of coming to him. So, so there's, there's language of coming to him, of learning from the Father, of believing on him, of having eternal life, and so forth. And so in John chapter 6, verses 45 to 47, Jesus says, and you'll, you'll recognize some of this language, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. He's quoting the New Covenant. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Now, this is different from the Old Covenant. Because God made this covenant with the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai, but not everybody in the nation of Israel was a believer. Not everybody in the nation of Israel followed God. Paul said it this way, not everyone who is of Israel is Israel. Not everybody who's of the nation of Israel is ethnic Israel. Not all of them have a relationship with God. But in contrast to that, everyone who's part of the new covenant, God says, will know God. And how will they know God? Look at verse 34 again. Look at it carefully. No, they'll not teach each man's brother, say, Know the Lord, for here's the reason, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For, here's the reason, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Said, said one way, if you want to know God, if you want to have a relationship with Him, you have to have your sins forgiven. God doesn't God doesn't leave you in your sin. Said another way, if you have never had your sins forgiven, you don't know God. Now, that's not a popular message today. The popular message today is God just loves everybody just the way they are. He'll just leave them be. You just, you just make sure that you say the name that you're a Christian and that that's all that God really wants. And there's a whole bunch of money spent on Super Bowl ads uh, the last couple of years, and, and, and the message was, he gets us. And if by that they only meant he understands that we're just dust and he has compassion on us, that's, that's biblical. That's Psalm 103. If by that they simply meant that he takes us where we are, just as I am, without one plea, as the old hymn says, yes, that is accurate. But... That's not where they go. They push a little bit further and say, and he's okay with that. He's okay with you wallowing around in the mud. He's okay with you living in sin. That's not the truth. The Bible says, yes, he's compassionate. Yes, he meets us right where we are. But the Bible says that he hates sin. He's angry with sin. He does not condone sin. And he judges sinners. That's a message you don't see here at the Super Bowl. And listen, he, he'll, he'll take us right where we are, but he doesn't leave us that way. He loves us too much for that. He doesn't leave us in our sin. He transforms us. He writes his law on our hearts. 
And so then verse 34 says that he forgives our sin. How does he do that? Does he just say, eh, good enough. I'll just, I'll just act like it didn't happen. Have you ever been, have you ever had kind of an outing, like a, a break in your relationship with somebody because they've hurt you in some way or you hurt them in some way, and then you tried to act like it didn't happen instead of dealing with it? Now, you may have been able to smile at that person and, and all that stuff for a while, but that relationship's not whole, is it? And it's like that with, it's not like God can just wink at sin and say, well, you know, that wasn't so bad. No, he deals with the sin. And you know where it was dealt with? On the cross. Jesus was our substitute. He paid for our sin. And that's how forgiveness works. God doesn't act like it never happened. He said it happened and it was terrible. And it deserved judgment. And Jesus paid that penalty if you'll put your faith in him. Hebrews 8.13 says, The new covenant has made the old covenant obsolete. Why? Because it brought death. The new covenant brings life. The old covenant said, this is what sin is, so don't do it. The new covenant says, this is what sin is, and you've done it, but there's forgiveness. The old covenant said, here are the things you should do. It's out here. It's external. The new covenant says, these are the things you should do, and it's written on our hearts. It's internal. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. And today, not sometime in the future, today, if you would trust Christ for your salvation, if you'd repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, you will be saved and you'll take part in that new covenant. You'll experience that forgiveness that is talked about in Jeremiah. He'll, he'll wash your sins away. He'll, he'll wash you whiter than snow. He'll take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. He will not remember your sin and your iniquity against you anymore. It's not that God all of a sudden has amnesia. But it's just like when, when somebody has done something to you, you forgive them of that. It's not like it didn't happen. You just don't hold it against them. That's what God does. He, he doesn't hold it against us anymore. And I just wonder, what is your choice today? If, if you're not a believer, what's your choice? Are you going to trust Jesus for salvation or not? And if you have trusted Christ for salvation, listen, you are a partaker of the new covenant. You've had your sins forgiven. You have God's law written on your heart. You have the Holy Spirit enabling you to do those things that God has put on the inside. Therefore, be holy for he's holy. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just first would ask you, are you a partaker are you taking part in the new covenant? Have you had your sins forgiven? Are you right with God today? Cultural Christianity is not going to get you into heaven. The only thing that's going to get you into heaven is the grace and mercy of God found in Jesus Christ alone. If you have done that, if you haven't, you need to 
turn to Christ today. But if you have done that, do you live that holy life that we're called to? You're not going to live a perfect life. You got something in your life you need to repent of? You need to confess your sin to God? You need to forsake that sin? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're that we, we can take part in this new covenant, which is better than the old. It's not just a bunch of rules and regulations, but it is a transformed heart that changes the way that we live. And God, even today, I pray that you would work in our hearts. And if any of us are, are not part of this new covenant, we've never accepted Christ as our Savior, God, I pray that you would bring conviction and salvation. For those of us who are partakers, God, we, we pray that you would convict us of our sin as well. Let us know we've done those things that displease you, and let us confess those sins to you. God, I pray that you'd help us all to live holier lives than what we already are. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, which is which reaches out to us when we can't when we can't reach out to you. In Jesus name. Amen.